You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius XM. Today's episode, The Dilemna Dilemma. So let, let me start by asking you, Mike, how do you spell dilemma? <laughs> I spell it um, D-I-L-E-M-N-A. So it would be pronounced dilemma, but it's a, a silent N, so it's still dilemma. And uh, that's the way I've always spelt it. This man misspelling the word dilemma is Mike Turner. And if the results of a Google search are any indication, he is among the approximately one in 10 people of the English-speaking world who spell it that way. That is, incorrectly, with a silent N, rather than the correct D-I-L-E-M-M-A. Mike runs a website dedicated to the dilemma slash dilemma question. And he's discovered that the oddest thing about the prevalence of the incorrect spelling is that for the most part, the dilemma people all remember explicitly being taught to spell it that way when they were kids in school. They somehow go years or even decades never encountering the correct spelling and only later in life learn the error of their ways, oftentimes by some fluke. A couple of years ago I was driving along and I noticed this, this huge billboard that was advertising a film that just came out which was called The Dilemma. And uh, I couldn't believe it because it was spelled wrong. It was spelled with two M's. D-I-L-E-M-M-A. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, I was just like, I just laughed out loud. How could anybody make that huge a spelling mistake? Like, like some, someone's going to lose their job over that one. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I went back home and Googled it, and, I mean, I couldn't believe that it was spelled with two M's. And then um, I started checking dictionaries. And I was absolutely shocked because in the dictionaries it all said two M's. So it's not like there are two acceptable spellings? No, definitely not. It's not even been mentioned. I mean, usually when you look up a dictionary, there might be an alternative. Sometimes it'll give you a different spelling for a word. That's never happened. It's always been two M's. Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely zero reason why a silent N would be added in. So it's just a complete and utter mystery. Mike has all sorts of origin theories of how the dilemma spelling became so popular. Maybe it was a mistake in a school textbook that teachers accepted as correct. But if just one textbook is the culprit, why do the cases of miseducation span countries and generations? Or maybe it goes back to some ancient writing that wasn't proofread properly, and that gave way to all this. In fact, there are 200-year-old books that contain the dilemma misspelling. But then why hasn't anyone noticed the discrepancy until now and put a stop to it? For Mike, there's only one theory that comes close to making everything fit. I mean, it sounds completely crazy, but my favorite theory is, uh, was put by a guy called Martin Paul that lives in Toronto. And he's heavily into the alternate universes and, and things like that. So. He reckons that, that we've actually collided universes. And all the people that spell it with a silent N have somehow crossed over into a different universe where it's spelt with a double M. While this might seem a little far-fetched, it appears to be the only theory that addresses the problem of there being so little intersection between the dilemma and dilemma camps. And if not exactly providing conclusive proof of multiple dimensions... The confusion does seem to point to the hand of an impish, mischievous god. 
I mean, the dilemma slash dilemma question is itself a dilemma. Consider for a moment that the word dilemma comes from the Greek, meaning double proposition, whereby two possibilities are on offer, and neither seems quite right to all. I spelled it dilemma my whole life until I was recently corrected by Microsoft Word, writes one 19-year-old student on Mike's online message board. I am absolutely shattered. When I ask Mike why he thinks people have such strong feelings about something so trivial as a spelling mistake, he isn't sure. Maybe it has to do with how difficult it is to unlearn things, or maybe it speaks to how tenuous our construction of reality actually is. In Mike's own case, he says he'll never stop spelling it the way he does. He says that the other way, the right way, just looks wrong. Often in life, the right path can look so similar to the wrong path, a mere M versus N kind of difference, that we can't always easily see what's right. That, of course, is the dilemma, the not quite knowing, and it is a burden we must all shoulder alone. That is, until today. So I'm, I'm here in the studio with Gabe Delahaye and Jane Marie. Hello. Hi. And Gabe, you used to write a column for Gawker called The Unethicist, where you'd offer people advice on how to solve their ethical dilemmas. So I imagine you think of yourself as pretty good at giving advice? Uh, I think I give it a lot. Whether or not I'm really good at giving it a lot. Like I recently had to catch myself at a party where I was giving someone like so much advice that they had clearly not asked for. Like, and they just wanted to be at a party. And I was like, I think you should really consider therapy. And he was like, I think I just want to have fun at this party. So I do give a lot of advice. And Jane, uh, who's also a friend of Gabe's, you're also known as someone who gives a lot of advice. You've written for Elle and Cosmopolitan, and you write a uh, beauty advice column for Rookie Magazine. Why do you think you're someone people turn to for advice? I think it's just my tone of delivery. It's not that I know anything, but I, I sound authoritative. And it's fun to give oh, it's advice. So fun. It's really fun to tell people what you think about stuff. But I don't know. People trust me for some crazy reason. And I try not to abuse that power. And use it for good and not evil. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so a little while ago, we set up a moral dilemma helpline where listeners to our show were asked to call in with their ethical quandaries. And today we've brought you into the studio to help us respond to some of those calls. Sound good? Yes. Totally. So here we go. We'll, we'll play the first phone message. Hi, it's Sally calling from Edmonton. And my dilemma is my beekeeping mentor doesn't manage to keep his bees alive and he wants me to give him some of my bees that uh, that thrive and I don't want to give him any of my bees because I don't like how he works with his bees and they always die but he's been of help to me otherwise just in terms of me understanding beekeeping it's a big dilemma thanks bye Save those bees. Uh, don't give them no bees. Don't give them the bees. Don't, don't give them, them any bees. bees. And Take both of your bees. I feel <laughs> I feel very suspect of anyone who opens a relationship by being like, I will mentor you and help you 
and then immediately and now you're tur- gonna help and immediately me. turns it around on into now you owe me this thing because I've helped you mm-hmm. and I'm a mess up and uh, I need your help so give me something I would just get out of there. Friends don't take friends bees. Friends don't take friends bees at all. If I had a dog and I couldn't keep my dog alive and then Gabe has a really awesome dog, I wouldn't say, Gabe, but now you have to give me your dog because I've been a friend to you. I would give you my dog, but (laughs) (laughs) keep your bees, man. And that's a lesson for everyone. Yeah. Keep your bees. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to the the next one. Hey, my name is Greg, and my dilemma concerns kale. Uh, I have a neighbor who grows kale in a garden in the front yard. I don't know this person. I just walk by the garden every day. And uh, they are letting their kale grow and flower, which means it's going to taste terrible. Now, I think somebody should actually get to enjoy this kale the way it's supposed to actually taste. Uh, When I had a garden, I grew kale, and so I know when to clip it. So my moral dilemma is, should I clip this kale and eat it myself? I I keep going back and forth on this. I don't want to do it in broad daylight. I'd have to wait until after dark. But uh, is it is it more important that I honor their territorial integrity or that I uh, enjoy this kale or perhaps make it for a dinner of some kind? Thank you. Just go knock on their door and talk to your neighbors. Yeah, just ask them for the kale or let it go. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's kale. not your kale. It's just but kale. Also, kale's pretty looking when it flowers, so maybe they like it decorative. But you just knock on the door and be like, are you guys trying to have decorative kale here or are you trying to cook with this kale? Because I know a few things about kale. I'm your neighbor. My name is... Mr. Know-it-all kale fan. <laughs> also, any question, where, any question where the two options are, should I do nothing or should I sneak around in the middle of the night <laughs> and, and steal something? <laughs> yeah. The answer is do nothing. Trespass. Like If those are your only two options, do nothing. But there is a third option, which is get to know your neighbors and say, hello, bring them a loaf of your beautiful kale bread that you made and say, hey, I'm a kale artist. But also, like, mind your own business. Why are you getting so bent out of shape about kale? It is food, and it's going to waste. I He's, understand that. All right. Just talk to your neighbors. Just talk to your neighbors, man. Okay, great. Uh, let's uh, let's move to the next one. Hi, um, my name is Wendy. Here is the deal. It's about a fur coat, a very old fur coat. In fact, it's from the 70s when such things were the norm. I would love to have it restyled to wear again, to bring it out of the closet, so to speak. But I'm conflicted, and I don't know. I need your advice. Is it, again, acceptable to wear fur? I mean, think of all the people who wear leather shoes or carry leather purses. And what about the fur trim on all those trendy and expensive Canada Goose parkas? Is it wrong to want to wear a fur coat? I need your help. What say you, Wiretap? Jane, Gabe, what say you? I think if you feel weird about it and you have to call into a radio show and ask if you should wear it, then you don't want to really be wearing it. Yeah. The best compass is your gut, you know? Like, yeah. if your gut is saying, something about this is making me feel nervous, and I feel like I need to come up with some justifications or whatever, it's just a lot easier just to wear a fake fur coat. But is it worse for the animal that died for the coat to have that coat just sit in a closet rather than at least be worn by someone and enjoyed? Mm, I think they're dead. They're dead. And especially if it was made in the 70s. Even those ghosts are probably dead by now. Yeah. So now you got to make your own decisions. Those animals are not around to help you make your decision. She could also use it as a bedspread. And then only certain special people would see her fur coat. Okay, let's let's move on to the the next one. Hi, my name is Richard, and here's my moral dilemma. Okay, it revolves around chili. And in the Midwest, chili is the nectar of the gods. But anyway, here's the moral dilemma. I knew in advance that this chili parlor that's been in business for four decades was going to close. 
rather suddenly. And so I went on the day of the closure and I bought a substantial amount. Well, I had made the mistake of telling my mom that I may have some chili with her name on it. And then I made the mistake of telling one of my new good friends that I'll be able to give him some chili too. So my moral dilemma is, um, do I keep my word and give all those people chili, which at this point would mean that I get zero? Or do I perhaps say that a beastly entity came and stole the chili and sorry, Mom. Anyway, any kind of help you could give me? Have a great day. Thanks. Give your mom some chili, man. If you told people that you were going to give them chili, I don't know, why don't you just be a good person and give them what you promised them? What I would do, take the two tiny servings of chili that you have. Two servings? He really only went and bought two servings. He said he bought so much chili, and now I promised two people chili, and I have no chili. (laughs) (laughs) Look how much chili is a lot. I would just take some chili beans and a can of crushed tomatoes and then add them to the chili, and then I'd have twice as much chili. You'd chop the chili. I'd chop the chili. I'd I'd cut the chili (laughs) with some beans and tomatoes. That's like the opposite of uh, Solomon's wisdom about cutting the baby in half. That's kind of like adding more baby to the baby. But also, who eats chili all like by themselves at home? You have a chili party. I've eaten chili by myself. You make a whole pot of chili and eat it by yourself. Do you want me to embarrass myself on national (laughs) radio? Yeah, I've definitely made chili at home by myself and eaten it by myself. So there we go. That's a little bit about me. (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, let's, uh, Let's move to the next one. Hello, my name is Kevin... I have been popped for jury duty at the federal grand jury. It's 18 months, 18 months, two days a week. Uh, I feel very conflicted about whether I should try and get out of it or not. I feel like I'd be a really good juror. I don't want to do my civic duty, but like 18 months, uh, yeah, it's intense. Please help. Thanks. I guess I don't understand the consequences of two days a week. How intense is that? That's like a cake decorating class level of commitment. For what, a year and a half? decorating class You know, you like taking? a pastry, a real pastry class. 18 months of pastry class? Yeah, you can go class? to the Cordon Bleu for like a year and a half. Well, yeah. you can go to the Cordon Bleu for 40 years if you want, probably. <laughs> okay, I meant... If he um, can somehow manage to double up some like vocational training <laughs> and jury duty. I just meant like the 18 months is a finite... It's like going to be fine. Also, this guy said he thinks he'd be a good juror. So he should do it. So just do it. Please. Let's, come on. We all need you to do it. I would think it would be fun. Yeah, me too. I'll do it. I'll tell them I'll do it. Okay, I think we have time for one last message. Here we go. Hi, my name is Ashlyn Jordan, and I'm 18, and I have a moral dilemma. My boyfriend lied to me for six months about having cancer, and <gasps> I'm just not sure how to forgive him or move on or be his friend. And he, he pretended to have cancer. He didn't, he didn't have cancer at all. He just kind of told me he did for a really long time, six months, and then he did fake treatments and he fake went to all kinds of radiation treatments. So I really need help. Thank you. Bye. She has to get on top of this right now. I can't imagine what will happen in her future if she's like okay with being treated that way. Yeah, lying is lying is unacceptable. To manipulate someone into feeling sorry for you or whatever he was doing. So do you think this requires maybe an immediate intervention? We have Ashling's phone number. We could try calling her up right now. Maybe you could talk directly to her. We need to call her. 
we got immediately we got to get on top of this. Get her on the phone. Okay, let's uh, let's dial her up. Hello. Is this Ashlyn? Yes. Hi, Ashlyn. This is Jonathan Goldstein speaking. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you. So I'm I'm here with uh, Gabe and Jane, who are helping me with the moral dilemma helpline calls. Hi. Hello. Hi. We were just listening to your phone message. Awesome. How you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm really sorry that happened to you. It's it's okay. It's no one's fault but my own for believing the lie and the person who told it. No, it's his fault. It's 100% his his fault. fault. (laughs) It's really 100% his fault. Where, Where are you at with it now? Well, we were kind of dating, and so obviously we're not dating anymore. I still talk to him because it's really hard to let go of a 10-year friendship because I'm a bad person at letting go. I don't do that well. So I still talk to him. Uh, I'm pretty emotionally distraught over the whole thing. How does it feel when you when you talk to him? Like, does it feel good to talk to him, or does it just feel like what you should be doing? It kind of just feels like I should be doing it. Like, it doesn't necessarily feel good anymore. I think you shouldn't talk to him anymore. And I know it's really, really hard, and 10 years is a long time, and especially when you love somebody. But I think you need to... Here's from an old lady's perspective. Very old. Yeah, very old. (laughs) With with many lying ex-boyfriends in the past. Start practicing now um, saying no to this stuff Mm -hmm. and distancing yourself from people like that. And if I can add one thing, I also would recommend not taking any of the blame for any of it and and not just feeling like you're at fault for believing the lying part, but also like you said that you are bad at letting go. Well, letting go is really hard and that doesn't mean that you're bad at it or that it's something that like other people have, like everyone's bad at letting go. And And similarly, I think you should continue to as best you can live your life uh, as if this didn't happen in the sense that you should expect that people won't do this. Yeah. Like you should, I don't think that you should think that what he did was in any way, and that sort of, that ties into the not blaming yourself for it is like, you were correct to be a good friend or a good girlfriend and be worried about him because you were correct to assume no one would do something horrible like that. And just because Mm -hmm. this jerk did, A, get rid of him, and then B, Don't, like, get all guarded up because you're worried that this is how everyone is because they're not. Oh, no. I, I, I know everyone felt like this. And it was, um, that's what's so alarming about it is because I was told multiple times that everything he said to me sounded like a lie. And I stood by him and I stood up for him because I genuinely believed he would never do something like this to me. Mm-hmm. And so when... When the truth came out and when he was like, yeah, you know what? I did lie to you about having cancer. It, um, like, it tore my reality apart. I think you got to disconnect from this disconnect guy from completely. This guy. Yeah. Because he broke the rules. Yep. And you don't yeah. get to keep having a great friend like you when you break the rules. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I'll stop talking to him because I've had a lot of people tell me that, but... It's very, very difficult to do. It is really, really hard. It's really hard. Um, And we know. But you wouldn't let your girlfriends do this. That's the thing is I wouldn't want any of my friends to stick around through it. But I'm still Mm -hmm. staying. Be a good friend to yourself and hold yourself to that standard, you know? 
Okay. And don't worry about annoying your other friends with having to reach out to them when you would have reached out to him, you know? Just divert that energy to someone who's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, you can and call me. You can, you can email call, me if you want. You can for sure want. call Jane. I have, I have Jane's number if you need it. <laughs> Thank you. I probably will. I'm here. <laughs> Hold on. I want to write down your email, but I'm pulling out a lollipop instead of a pen. <laughs> Hold it's... on one moment. All I have is lollipops. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? We How about we, we'll just call you back after and, and put you guys in touch. Awesome. Thank you very, very much. And okay. you guys have been so helpful. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, good luck, Ashlyn. And Thank you for calling in. Take care and have a good day, and God bless you, you guys. You too. Okay, you too. bye. 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 Oh, man. Good good job, you guys. All I have is lollipops. This is my favorite thing I've heard in a really long <laughs> time. So, <laughs> that was so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Howard? Yeah, no, what's up? What, what, are you, what are you doing? Mm, I'm drinking a smoothie. Okay, Howard. Mm. Howard. Could you put it down for a moment? I wanted to uh, ask you some questions. Game show style. And okay. you're going to do your best to answer them. Okay, game we're, show style. We're going to do kind of like a morality quiz show. All right. Okay, here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start the music. Okay, you're on a train speeding towards five people. If mm-hmm. you flip a switch, the train will divert to a track killing only one person. Mm-hmm. Do you flip the switch or do nothing? I just jump off the train and then just avoid the responsibility 100%. Uh, so that would be my option. I will jump off the train. Next question. What's worse, one starving puppy or 20 starving pigeons? I would feed 20 pigeons to the starving puppy. I've eaten pigeon. It's pigeon. In Italian, it's piccioni. The bank accidentally deposits $10,000 in your account. Do you report it or spend it? Yes. Even, the bank put $10,000 in my account. But you know that it was, obviously it was an accident. Why would I assume it's an accident? Maybe the bank was to give me $10,000. Why would they give you $10,000? Did they give away free pens? Give away free checkbooks? So why wouldn't they put the money in? You are trying to reserve the seat next to you on the train, mm-hmm. hoping the attractive woman getting on will ask for it. An old lady asks first, do you tell her it's taken? Wait, it's your question. Maybe the, the old lady may be the attractive lady. Someone you don't really like invites you out to an expensive meal, their treat. Do you go just for the meal? Your treat. Their treat. Wait, you're inviting me to an expensive meal and you're paying for it. Well, how, do I... how do I figure into this thing? Oh, wasn't, didn't you say it was you? No, I never said that it was me. You're not the finest person on earth, but boy, do you pay a good check. Someone has left a very fancy-looking umbrella in the lost and found at your work. It has been there a week. Do you take it home? John, I, I live off the lost and found. I go down to you where you work, and I, I, everything I get is from the lost. Is that true? The lost and found box is like my wardrobe. Yeah, I think you're forgetting the found part of the of the lost and found. It was lost, and I found it. They never specify. Okay, you're you're playing tennis with your boss for the first time. Mm-hmm. You're winning, and your boss is getting angry. Do you let him win? I don't really look good in tennis shorts. Next question. You're working at a restaurant and you drop someone's order on the floor. Mm-hmm. Your shift is ending in two minutes and you don't have time to make them a new order. Mm-hmm. What do you do? A little bit of gum, a little bit of hair. Give some fancy French name like uh, Pigeon Supreme or something like that. 
Okay, so now it's time for the bonus round. I'm going to give you one last scenario, and, and I'm going to give you one minute to explain how you would handle the situation. Bonus round. You ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. A pregnant woman leading a group of five people out of a cave on a coast is stuck in the mouth of the cave. In a short time, high tide will be upon them, and unless she is unstuck, they will all be drowned except for the woman whose head is out of the cave. Fortunately, someone has with him a stick of dynamite. There seems to be no way to get the pregnant woman loose without using the dynamite, which will inevitably kill her, but if they do not use it, everyone else will drown. And cue the timer. I'd like to know what kind of sociopath could conceive of questions like this. Is this you, Jonathan? That, that isn't a part of this. You deign to, to question my morality when the questions that you come up with are so depraved, are so twisted and sick. It's just a thought experiment. They're not real a pregnant woman yet. Okay, Howard, you've got 30 seconds well, left. Well, clearly, I would induce birth, and then the, the, then the lady's belly would go down, and she'd be unstuck, and we'd all just swim to safety. And then we all get back to land, and we're all hailed as heroes and survivors. And then I take my survivor money, and I go, and I, and I get you to see a shrink for the sick questions you come up with. Try to make me look bad when you are the sociopath. Okay, and time. And what up. are we all doing in a cave in the first place? With a pregnant woman yet? Okay, Howard, How I said... How sick is this? Time is like up. Like you're some god in Olympus. Howard, it's Pause over. there to play with, Harry. Your little game. Okay. You don't care about mortal Zeus? Who are you? All right, Howard, that's that. What are we On Wiretap today, you heard Howard Chakowitz and Mike Turner, whose website can be explored at dilemna.info. You also heard Jane Marie and Gabe Delahaye. Special thanks to Martin Paul and to everyone who called in to our Moral Dilemma Helpline. To hear an extended version of our Helpline segment, visit cbc.ca slash wiretap. Wiretap is produced by Mira Birdwintonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Tune into Wiretap Saturdays at 3.30 and Thursday evenings at 11.30. Or subscribe to the free podcast at cbc.ca slash wiretap, where you can also download the latest Wiretap ringtone. I think you should really consider therapy. Unsolicited advice to friends and loved ones with every ring of your phone.